thanks for being here. We're happy to have you. So um, anyone who can see us, and some of you will be listening to the podcast, but uh, can see that Marcos isn't here today. Marcos Melitzis is, uh, is off on some PTO, hopefully enjoying himself. Um, but I, instead of Marcos, have one of my favorite people to talk about one of my favorite subjects, which is messaging. And we have Jennifer Fernandez and Kona of Way to Win. Now, you, anyone who's a regular has seen Jennifer before. She has joined us. We threatened to make her um, uh, one of the co-hosts at one point without her knowing. <laughs> she never even came close to accepting, by the way. It's just that Marcos and I like voted like maybe we would just make her a co-host. It was just the two of us. So anyway, and she is going to help us dive into messaging. They have some uh, her organization, Way to Win. Um, it's a liberal group that focuses on campaign messaging, organizing, um, and electing progressive candidates. She's going to help us sort through some of the, uh, you know, messaging uh, potential for next year for Democrats and Joe Biden, um, some of the pitfalls. Uh, and um, I think it's going to be interesting. So uh, thank you for coming, Jennifer. We are happy to have you. Thanks so much, Carrie. It's awesome to be here. I love being an honorary co-host and so happy to step in and, you know, attempt to fill Marcos's big shoes, which of course will be yeah. challenging, but I'll oh, do my no, best. Of course, but <laughs> but you have but you have a, a specific area of expertise that we are tapping into today. So and yeah, um, apparently Way to Win has been working on some research about messaging. Um, going into next year. So Jen's going to um, share some of that with us too. But let's start out. I, You know, it strikes me that let's just assume, because I think this is probably where we will end up, although we can't 100% say for sure, but we will probably end up with, well, I mean, we know that Joe Biden will be the Democratic nominee mm -hmm. um, and that likely Donald Trump will be the Republican nominee. That's mm -hmm. the likely scenario um, that we are facing next year, this rematch from 2020. Yeah. I mean, and based <laughs> on what we know now, <laughs> yes. But the, I mean, a lot could change, right? Trump is facing a lot of criminal indictments. He is going to be on trial. We just don't know what is going to happen. And so I do like to, I think we have to be prepared for all scenarios, which includes Trump-Biden rematch and possibly someone else from the Republican side. That's fair. That's very fair. Um, and I think, you know, it's wise to not be settled for sure. I will add that e even with being, you know, under indictment for 90 plus count criminal counts, right? Yeah. Um, he has, Donald Trump has continued, uh, as we have talked about, ad nauseum to mostly dominate the um, uh, the primary, yeah. the Republican yeah. primary. Totally. Um, it, we just got the we just got the Iowa poll, the the Ann Seltzer Iowa poll out, mm -hmm. and and it had been shown, you know, to some extent in the previous poll that they did in October, right? She's the Iowa guru. She's kind of yeah. it was a Dwayne Register, uh, MediaCom, NBC News poll, but it was conducted by Seltzer and Company. And mm -hmm. that's kind of the poll. And it showed that um, even though in October he was down, you know, Trump was down around, I don't know, mid 40s, like 43, 44, 45 percent. Uh, now he's at 51 percent um, in the latest poll. So he's actually as people have dropped out instead of that helping 
very, you know, the other candidates, right. Really boosting the other candidates. He's, you know, it's, it's helped him consolidate more. Um, Ron DeSantis is now in second at, uh, 19%, which is a mild improvement for him since October. Mm-hmm. Um, he was at 16% tied with Nikki Haley and Nikki Haley is now 16%. And, you know, in this, and then everyone else, I mean, Vivek, uh, Ramaswamy and Chris Christie, they're, um, in single digits at like four or 5%. So yeah, um, it's between those three anyway. So we yeah. are, it's looking Trumpy. <laughs> Just going to say that. Okay. So we don't have to dwell on that. I'm going to assume that we could, that this is the most likely scenario, a Trump Biden rematch. And, and what's striking me about this messaging environment, um, and you uh, may feel differently, is that we have two candidates that are very well known, and it feels like a lot of public opinion is already baked in. And, um, you know, it, that can be, public opinion can be hard to move um, when, that's the situation. So I wanted to f- yeah. go, go ahead. What What do you think about that? No, I, I agree with you. I think that's the right, that's a good setup. And that is exactly what's happening um, on right. both sides. So you were going to bring up something about the Trump, the efforts to, to go after Trump. Yeah. So I wanted to just on both sides of the aisle, real quick mention without dwelling on them, real, mention some of the messaging that I think were kind of misses or didn't really work in particular on the Trump side. Okay, so mm-hmm. um, so for instance, there was um, there was an effort by a couple different PACs to get um, primary voters, Republican primary voters, off of Trump, mm-hmm. um, and using you know voters who have voted for Trump um, to say, hey, you know, I loved him, I loved his presidency, but you know, this isn't. We need someone who can win or, you know, something along those lines. I didn't like the way he handled COVID, um, as in he shut down the country for a short amount of time. I mean, you know, they they tried all kinds of things. None of them seemed to work. Let's listen to one from Iowa. This was done by a a pack called Win It Back Pack. Um, And it's a conservative organization that is anti-Trump and uh, is now anti-Trump. Um, and uh, tried to persuade Iowa voters to not vote for Trump. Let's let's hear a 30-second ad from them. Donald Trump was one of the best presidents in my lifetime. We're not seeing that kind of leadership from Biden now. It's really sad. I think there's a lot of reasons why Trump lost. About every other day, you'd go, why did he say that? I mean, it still continues today. There's definitely Trump fatigue. It's it's too bad. I think he'd be do, do a good job, but I don't know if we can get him elected. I think it's too risky for the country. Try someone else. Right. So, um, so as we just discussed, it looks like Trump is surging in Iowa. <laughs> well, it helps when you start the anti-Trump ad with the statement, Trump's the best president I've ever seen. I mean, it really is like a classic sort of negation tactic that doesn't work where you, you you're, you're, he, they're basically giving airtime to the idea that Trump is great and then trying to undermine that at the end saying, oh, I think it's too risky. I just don't think people pay close enough attention. I mean, you really have to, you really have to pay attention to that ad to the words to parse that they're saying that the guy is actually saying Trump is 
not right. Because most of the time he's just talking about how Trump is kind of great and Biden sort of sucks. Like it doesn't put you in a frame for the Republican primary and it doesn't give the viewer like a sense that they're even in a Republican primary. Like to me, it just totally misses the mark from the goal that you would think it has to actually drive more Republican primary voters towards Trump. They just, they just, it just doesn't exist. Like the constituency that I think this ad is trying to speak to doesn't really exist inside of the Republican coalition right now. It's more of a general election strategy. That's, that's totally fair. Uh, totally agree. Um, the one thing I will say is clearly they were trying to, you know, disarm people by say, by starting all of the ads that I saw start off with something like he was the best president I ever saw, or I loved it when Trump was president or something. I voted for, you know, I'm a Trump voter, that type of thing. So yeah. they all started off that way in order to try to disarm people and, and allow them to get their message. But, you know, um, Obviously, it didn't work. So I think there's something to be said for all of the points you made. You know, there was a mm -hmm. on the other side of the aisle. So there was an a, another effort, and we're, I don't have the ads handy, but um, you know, uh, Team Biden put in some very early money. It poured like I don't know. I want to say around twenty five million dollars into messaging um, an ad buy in swing states, sort of playing up. Um, Biden on things like uh, Ukraine. And I, I'm not sure some other, you may know better than I do. I do. Yeah. yeah, I think it was a lot around the different kind of accomplishments that were passed by Biden and the Democrats in the 22 um, year. So it was everything from um, efforts to curb inflation with the Inflation Reduction Act, efforts to invest in clean, green energy jobs. Um, that also was from the Inflation Reduction Act. A lot of the infrastructure projects that were funded as part of the CHIPS Act and things like that. So that is that is roughly the, the shape of it. Right. OK, so the you know, the conclusion based on battleground state polling right now is that it didn't mm -hmm. really my conclusion. OK, and many <laughs> other people's conclusions, which which I'm happy to be, um, you know, challenged on is that it didn't really move the needle much um, that, you know, it's but I, I just have to say people it's a battleground states are battleground states. Right. They are yeah. close. And that's why they're called battlegrounds. Um, but the yeah. battleground state polling suggests, you know, obviously a very tight race. Um, I don't know what some people were looking for in terms of moving the needle. You know, were we suddenly going to see Biden surging to like 55 percent approval rating? Very unlikely. You know what I mean? Like, like, yeah. no, that's never going to happen. So um, anyway, go. That's so right. What do you think about the effectiveness? And let's just say these ads, because we often talk about the frame of, um, you know, is the next election, can we make it a choice between Biden and Trump or mm -hmm. is it going to be a referendum on Biden? And in this case, most of these ads were just playing up Biden's wins, right? They weren't making the comparison yet to Trump. So. Yeah, which is which is absolutely natural and necessary at this point in time, right? We don't, Trump isn't the nominee yet. And so we don't necessarily want to drum him up as the nominee when we don't know that that's true. I mean, those that messaging will come the minute there is clarity with the Republican electorate on who they choose. Those ads are ready to go. That is the best message. The contrast message is the best message. But there's something that should be done. Like there is something that can be done and should be done earlier, which is exactly what they did in in many respects, it was important to put real money into something about what Biden had done because 
it's really because of the media environment. I think that's one of the biggest. Biden is really a bit a victim of the media environment that we're in right now. And just the environment of like what we call the poly crisis, right? Like all the different kinds of crisis that people are dealing with. His approval rating may not ever go up because people are just pissed about everything right now and upset and overwhelmed. And so they're not going to say they like anything. So whoever's in charge is likely going to have a bad approval rating. I think it's more about the environment than Biden in particular himself. And then I will say, like, yes, it didn't move the needle on the horse race polling. But again, I don't think we can put a lot of stock in that horse race polling a year out. It's it's sort of meaningless. Like it does give you a, a clue that it's very close, which we know. We know this election that we've known for a while. It's going to be very close. It gives it's giving us clues that we're losing support with certain demographics. We have to put a lot of effort into telling better stories and reaching, you know, younger people and people of color who who are sort of slipping from the coalition right now. But again, it's a year out and people are being asked to try to project into the future what they think they want. And I think they're using these polls as in many ways, a proxy for just how shitty they feel about how America is going. I think that is really the issue. And it has to do with like the Republicans in Congress who are not letting any progress happen, who are absolutely holding the country. They've held the country hostage multiple times this year, right? right? On the brink of total collapse with default. That was a whole thing we had to deal with because of them that like re- results in people's overall shitty feelings. So I, I just think like, I think the question is what needle did it move? And I would say the needle that it moved, as best as I can tell, is that when we were talking, maybe it was several months ago or last year, literally in the polling, no one could name anything Biden had done. It was like they thought that he literally had done nothing. Everyone is just like, I mean, all the focus groups is like, nah, that, like nothing. Like he's, and that was a problem because you don't want to like feel that nothing got done when Democrats were in charge. So the, the the needle that I think did get moved from that from that ad spending was actually awareness and knowledge about the things Biden had done. It, it hasn't moved the electoral horse race needle, like to your point, but in some of the navigator polling that I have seen more recently, it has moved people's awareness, like maybe 10 points or something like before they, they didn't know about the Inflation Reduction Act. Now they they do know about the Inflation Reduction Act, you know, and that sort of leads us to the point we are now. That knowledge about the Inflation Reduction Act has not like solved all the problems that people feel about the economy, but it did do something to move that needle. And then I think what was important about oh go ahead jump in let me just let me just reinforce the basic awareness being an issue because you we've been watching polling forever that shows that basically I mean forever since the Inflation Reduction Act was passed or yeah. since you know since the American Rescue Plan was passed and the you know the subsidies that were included in there and you know all of these things and people really they really don't get either why they did get something didn't get something they didn't they don't they you know they don't get that how much money, what a historic package that infrastructure package was. Many of them don't know that we are creating jobs like gangbusters, and that job creation is crazy high, and that yeah. um, and that you know uh, unemployment is crazy low. Like people don't really understand these things, these really basics, uh, basic indicators, and uh, and yeah. and and big ticket accomplishments by Biden. So that that is useful. That is a useful um, measure. Yeah. 
Yeah. Is it is useful, and it was necessary, even though um, it sort of feels like screaming into the void. I get that it was somewhat necessary because there was not coverage happening in the regular media. There was like an active sort of um, campaign by the Republicans, like with their media ecosystem, to be saying nothing has happened, everything is terrible, the economy is terrible, Biden has done nothing. I mean, that was really drowned out. So it's like or that drowned out sort of any, you know, any positive news that might happen, but it's just the press doesn't cover positive news and they don't, you know, there, there just isn't an incentive to do that. And so it did feel like a, an, a good idea to put paid advertising money behind it just to, just to have something out there saying what Biden had done when the, the media environment wasn't getting that job done. And in fact, on the right was getting like a, com- like a complete surround sound against everything Biden was doing. I definitely, I agree. I, I, when I wrote it up, I thought it was a smart thing to do, which was to yeah. invest this money early. And it is early money. Like, you know, most like I'm trying to think Barack Obama didn't start spending spending until spring or even fall of the year before of the year of his reelect. I mean, he did not spend money the year before his reelect. Mm-hmm. So this is this is unusually early to spend money on an ad buy like this. And I did think, look, with, no one knows what Biden's done. So there could be something um, reasonable, you know, reasonably good about just setting a baseline. Um, yeah. So, OK. But Let's, we do have a yeah, lot of work to do, to your point. We have a lot of work to do um, to build off of that and to tell a better story that actually can um, can make these accomplishments land better and come to life right. a little bit better. So one, one of the things I noticed after, so we, we, we've had obviously some special elections that have mostly gone very, very well for yeah. um, Democrats overall. And that's a really positive sign. Um, I, you know, I think we're at like, we're, we're in terms of special elections right now, I think Democrats, um, a Daily Coast Elections uh, tracks this. And I think Democrats are running seven to eight points ahead of where they normally um, w- what what you would expect based on the lean of the districts that they have happened in. Mm. Um, but what, we also had these Virginia elections, right, that went yeah. very well for Democrats. Democrats ended up in control of both houses, basically, you know, a a total blockade of um, Virginia Governor uh, Glenn Youngkin's aspirations to pass some very conservative anti-freedom legislation. So that was huge. And after that, um, Ron Brownstein, who's kind of like, you know, if I could write like him, I would. He's amazing. <laughs> he's just he's he's amazing, and he has this sort of encyclopedic knowledge of a lot of very important statistics, demographics. Then it really grounds him in everything he does and everything he writes. Mm-hmm. Um, but you you talked to him after that Virginia election, and you know you you noted that like you said once again we saw that voters uh, w- that what voters say in polls can be very different than what they do when faced with a stark choice between democrats who are fighting for a better life for families and dangerous candidates who are dead set on taking away their rights and freedoms um and then you said we have an opening here um with this uh, effective framing around people's freedoms and now we can push forward on economic messaging so i think i want to mm-hmm. spend the bulk of the rest of our time talking about the opportunities with economic messaging. Um, and, you know, because this is it, look, 
we've got Democrats, I think we can agree, and, and Marcos and I talk about this a lot, but have a really strong message on being pro-freedom, on mm-hmm. allowing people to the, the reproductive health care that they need and the freedom to make those decisions when they need it. You know, we just had that case in Texas, for instance, where yeah. a woman was pregnant. She had a, um, a, a fetus that had a, a fetal, you know, tragically had a fetal abnormality that... Um, it was if it could even survive into birth was going to, um, you know, pass very tragically shortly thereafter. Um, and if she wasn't able to get a um, an abortion or the proper like, you know, reproductive care that she needed, it was she could be prohibitive um, from having children, any more children getting pregnant again. Um, and she clearly very much wants a child. Um, so mm-hmm. she, you know, she appealed. She, to this, to the, um, to get, she, she tried to, she appealed the legal system basically in order to try to be able to get this abortion in Texas. Um, the one court ruled, I think in favor of her, and then it was put on hold. And then the Supreme court, ultimately the state Supreme court ultimately ruled against her. And she decided that she had to go to another state to get that abortion, which many people do not have the resources, the time, the, you know, that's not a luxury that they have. Thank goodness she could. Um, but the point is, is that now, you know, this is a Republicans America where they want yeah. to insert the government in making, um, you know, vital um, decisions about personal, what kind of personal, personal decisions. decisions about what kind of health care people can get. So anyway, I think this freedom yeah. message, this pro-freedom message for Democrats is very good. But we also have a lot to work on in terms of the economy because there's some pre-baked in, um, you know, bias, I think, and and unwarranted bias, but bias in favor of Republicans on the economy um, yeah. in some ways. So let's talk about That's that right. a little bit. What do you think the challenges are, uh, Jennifer, in this? Yeah. Well, just to reiterate or sort of underscore your your point, um, the the messaging that we saw work really well in the midterm elections, right, where we sort of defied all these expectations, was making it about people's rights and freedoms rather than making it a simple referendum on Biden's performance or how the economy was doing at that moment, which was terrible because we're still still working on coming out of COVID and getting these policies put in place. So I think that it was important in the midterms to make the election about those things. And as we saw throughout in 2023, we saw in Wisconsin, the Supreme Court, we definitely saw it in Ohio um, with the ballot measure. And then in Virginia, as you noted, um, with the kind of push up against Yunkin and the like in the beginning of the year, you know, I was hearing just like, oh, Virginia's gone. Like, Yunkin's got it. There's no way we're going to win. And we didn't give up. You know, way to win certainly helped. We pushed. We worked with the locals in Virginia just to say, what what more can we do? And it ended up being really important to make that narrative really clear, to make that contrast narrative really clear about the extreme way that Yunkin was going to take over the government and all of the things that he was going to do to take away people's freedoms. People didn't understand that in the early part of the election cycle. And only in when they did understand those stakes, that's what I was trying to get at with that with that statement I made. When people understand the stakes and they go to the voting booth, they are choosing to protect rights and freedoms over the sort of extreme MAGA Republicans. And so we, we, we didn't want to give up there because, of course, no matter what ha- is happening, um, people always feel the economy is important. Economic issues are always a top 
top issue, no matter how you, how you, um, you know, when or how you ask it, people always will lift up that economy and jobs and those things. It's very top of mind, very salient for voters. And historically, there's a correlation between whether voters see a candidate or a party as effective on the economy and whether that party or candidate wins. Like we've seen that just over time. Um, so I think that some of the key challenges are, number one, you you said this, the br- Republicans just have a brand advantage when it comes to the economy writ large. That's something that they have put a lot of effort into um, creating kind of a conventional wisdom about. And then I've said for a long time, I don't think the Democrats have ever really gotten clear. It's like hasn't been a strong enough sort of um, there hasn't been a strong enough like alignment about our own vision for what we want the economy to be um, on the Democratic side. So it, it just doesn't match up. So that's one challenge. And the other challenge is like, um, there is a thing, there used to be a thing that's called, um, that's like the rising tide lifts all boats, you know, like that, that sort of idea. And where we are now, where like the K-shaped recovery coming out of COVID, the, it's just really rampant inequality. And the, the way that the Republicans have organized and used their power to make all of these things worse, to pass the giant tax cut that was primarily for wealthy people and corporations when they did have power. Like all of that has led to this rampant inequality. So when some people do well, it doesn't lift the other people. That's the whole point of the K-shaped recovery. Like People, many people did very well after COVID and then like many people did much worse. And so there wasn't, there isn't a sense that if the economy does better, that I'm going to do better, that people understand that better now in a way that they really didn't before. And then the other challenges, there's just like a lot of cynicism. It's like out there in the world and voters' minds, there's um kind of a rampant, it's kind of like an unprecedented moment of distrust in institutions and generally people feeling very cynical. So it's hard to um it's hard to convince them that, you know, the economy is great. And partially it's because they don't really care how the economy is doing because of that point that I said, which is that they don't necessarily feel the impact of it doing so great, right? So all of those things are, that's sort of the sea that we're swimming in. Now there's like the bright spots. So like, oh, go ahead. Can I just just interject that like, this is why people in uh, in the midterms, a lot of like, you know, old timey analysts and whatever were like, Democrats are going to get creamed. I mean, so even though the polls actually weren't necessarily showing that, but you know, in, t- in terms of the races themselves, the contests mm-hmm. themselves, but there's this old like right track, wrong track sort of uh, metric that mm-hmm. typically if 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 the wrong track metric is really high and and you know a vast majority of people view it that way, it it accrues poorly to the party that's in control of the White House, the Democrats in the midterm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and this isn't the way it turned out. I mean, the right track, wrong track, the wrong track was off the charts going into the midterms. Mm-hmm. But the point was, it wasn't just that people were like, the country's on the wrong track and it's all Democrats' fault. Everyone was ticked off. Everyone felt like we were on the wrong track. That didn't mean that they were voting against Democrats. It didn't mean that they were voting against the party in the White House that controlled the White House. So I just listened to analysts after analysts saying, well, I've never seen the right track, wrong track like this. And, you know, it's definitely going to be bad for Democrats. I mean, they kept pounding that home. And that turned out not to be true because 
the, you know, because frankly, voters were smart enough to say, I'm kind of ticked off about everything, but discerning enough to like not necessarily aim all their fury at Democrats in particular. Anyway, yeah. so go, no, I just wanted to underscore that. Yeah, so go ahead. I totally agree. And that that's that's the thing we have to remember is that we're just living in different times than we've ever right. lived in before. So, you know, it, it would have made sense that with how people felt about economy, jobs, and inflation in the polling going into the midterms that we would have gotten crushed. But because we were able to get out a message and make it and get that drumbeat echoed all throughout so many different campaigns and, and organizations, it actually, and Biden himself, you know, bringing it to the forefront and making those great speeches on democracy issues. Yep. Those, those, the concerns people had about democracy and abortion together overtook how people felt about inflation in the economy. It actually, we saw that in the polling that we did after the fact that it, they literally said, yes, I cared about these things, but those other two issues together were actually, I cared about that more. And that that overtook people's um, decision making when it came to the midterms. So right. we may be in that same position, right? When we're in the presidential election, we just don't know. It's just that historically, a presidential election is more about economic issues than other things. So we just want to be prepared for that. Right. So part of what we, we need is to have like a frame that can be repeated over and over again. We've talked about that, how repetition really matters. And we want people to understand what we're saying. And I think that the protect our freedoms is such a good contrast. It's such a good thing to bring into the contrast message because you can just easily say like, we know that the Republicans just want it. All they want to do is take away our freedoms whether it's to have, a, you know, decide whether we want to have a child or to like be able to decide who wins elections. Like voters should be able to decide that, but they want to take that away. So or that's really- books. Like, or, yeah, bam books, all the things. They're all, all kinds of things. Yeah, it's crazy. And then we've also talked about how, like, you know, you could think of economic, like we like to say the kitchen table issues, right? And that's sort of like a single issue, like economy, economics, it's a single issue. But we don't live single issue lives. And the Republicans are not using only single issue attacks against us, as we have noted on this podcast too before, about the attacks around trans rights, the attacks around abortion, the attacks around, you know, um, like racial justice issues. So we we want to have a framework that resonates with people and that gives us a chance to rebut all of those issues as well. So we want to make sure we're not just stuck on the kitchen table because rather we want to go from the kitchen table to the whole house, which is what we're putting out there, that people's it's about people's lives and not about just the economy and the more we broaden the conversation and 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 focus the conversation not just on economic indicators but on p the indicators of people's lives and what they actually feel we can talk about our issues and we can talk about our accomplishments in a way that will land a little bit better with them and that still gives us a chance to bring in the contrast the point i was going to men mention before is the populism contrast is also really important. The, when we looked at, um, listened to voters all across the country, the idea that Democrats are on your side and fighting for working people, like the hot labor summer that really like showed how people are taking control of, you know, being on the picket line, Biden being there with the, with the auto workers, all of that really has helped. People are blaming corporations. They're blaming, they want to blame corporations for price gouging and for rigging the rules to take the wealth people create away. That's all really salient. And we just need to talk about it much, much more. And we need to make sure that our overarching message that we are repeating over and over again has that in it. Because if we don't, 
people, voters will absolutely default to a more conservative explanation of why things are hard, which goes to, um, you know, people being lazy and wanting to take handouts or taxes being too high and that kind of thing. So that's yeah. that's what we, we've been learning. And those are the most important things for us to hammer as we go into this new election year. So this is kind of the other the the other side of the coin of what's baked in for Republicans. Yeah. Let's, just, let's just take a few minutes here. Um, is the other so the other side of the coin is like the, the first part was, well, uh, Republicans have sort of a baked in, um, you know, advantage on people generally thinking that they're better stewards of the economy, which, by the way, is not true. Not true. Look it up. <laughs> Do your own research. You know what not they true. say. Do your own yeah. research. OK, so that's not true. But that's what they've managed to get people to think. It's a it's a baked in bias. OK, another baked in bias um, is that Democrats are more are more worried about working people are more on the side of working people. Mm -hmm. So it feels to me like this is an area uh, where Democrats can kind of work with that message. And it fits right into your your idea of um, the, you know, corporations, price gouging, things like that. Um, but also, uh, so I, I regularly look at a bunch of polling. Um, I look at the tracking that civics does because that's our, you know, our own company. And so like, I, I always am like looking at that, those indicators to see if anything's moving. I will tell you that I've been looking for the past, like two years at this, um, which party do you think is more concerned with people like you? And and Democrats are always about 10 points ahead of Republicans on that scale. So somewhere mm -hmm. around 42, 41% of people have been saying for the past six months that they think Democrats are more on their side and only 31, 32% are saying that Republicans um, are on their side. So, um, so that like that's something that Democrats can exploit and work with because it also happens to be true. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> so it is, yeah, absolutely. No, that's that's really true, and that's that's kind of what our point is that we should be setting the terms of the debate. We should be having it on the terrain that's the most favorable to us, and that terrain is when it comes to people's lives, their whole lives, working people, etc. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. I'm going to, um, we're going to wrap it up. I want to, I want to say one last thing. I want to ask you one last question because okay. I've been fascinated by this um, issue of the American dream and how, how it doesn't resonate with people hardly at all anymore. The latest Wall Street Journal poll found that just 36% of voters view the American dream as attainable, right? The proposition yeah. that anyone, I mean, the American dream means different things to different people. Some people yeah. it's like, well, I can have kids and a house and a car. Other people, you know, the, the more general idea is, is that if you work hard, you can get ahead. That's the more general idea. And it's yeah. really not resonating with people. So do you think like what is go like I don't want to say what is going on here that's too long an answer but is <laughs> can the can the american dream be reframed or is it something that like we just you know at this point need to like ha paint a different vision 
Yeah, I'm I'm more on the pain of different vision. Um, at least right now, I think it's hard for people, given everything that I talked about, like how kind of overwhelmed people are, how much people are just struggling. Like that was literally the number one word. And we looked at, we did a bunch of polling and a bunch of focus groups of all kinds of voters, all races, different economic backgrounds, et cetera. And honestly, struggling was the top word. It's like people are really, really struggling. And for good reason, it's because we haven't fixed many of these issues like housing costs are you know 45% higher over the past few years right and we had to get through a global pandemic unprecedented first of its kind that we've experienced um, which changed things, which which really dramatically shifted things. And prices went up, even though the rate of inflation is back down to a pretty normal rate of 3%, prices from 2019 to now have gone up 26%. So people still feel that when they go to the grocery store, right? So the, the American dream feels very far-fetched for people because they're working harder than they ever have and they're not making ends meet. They're not, they don't feel like they're getting ahead. I think that's part of why it just doesn't resonate or land anymore. But this idea of like a better life or, you know, making a good living and having a good life, people resonated with that idea. The idea of freedom, a freedom to thrive, like something about that resonated with people. Like they just, they're ready to, I think, think about how think about the kind of life that they want. Um, they One of the biggest things that they wanted was stability, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's really different than an American dream. You know what I mean? Dream and stability feel sort of different. <laughs> like people just right. want stability. So it's hard to dream when you can't even, you don't even feel stable. So that's why right. I think the idea of the better life is good because it's like a step forward and it, it it's a way that they can see all the things that would make their life better, not just... Um, Sort of the elements of the American dream, which you think of, which is like a house and a good job. And it's this more of these economic indicators, whereas a better life is like, how about your kids go to school and you don't have to worry about them getting shot, you know, that kind of thing. Oh, God. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to wrap it up on this note. And I'm just going to say that if uh, Democrats can keep the message broad around stability, then Trump is bad news when it comes to stability. Do you know what I mean? But if it's a narrow focus on these on the economic indicators and whatever, then some people are going to say, well, Trump was pretty good on that stuff. Right. That was stable. It wasn't because he lost more jobs than basically anyone in history during the pandemic. But his voters just like just lop off that final year of his presidency. Anyway, yeah. thank you so much for preaching uh, some of your insights. That's Jennifer and, uh, Fernandez and Kona from Way to Win. They do great work. We will look forward to having her back next year um, as we find out more and hone the messages. Um, but thank you all for jo- tuning in, joining us. We hope that you were having a joyous holiday season and whatever way, whatever capacity you celebrate, hopefully you're finding uh, community and um, and you're able to dream a little bit. Hopefully there's just a, a just a moment that you can feel some expansiveness um, this season. Okay, thanks so much. Uh, thanks thanks for joining us, Jennifer. And Thank we you. will Happy see Happy holidays you. to you too. Yeah. Happy holidays. Bye.